0: Hello and welcome to the Third Sector podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Burt, Editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector.
1: Each week we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the
0: interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. But it is a slightly shorter episode than usual today, as this week we have been very busy with one story that has taken up an awful lot of our time.
1: On Friday, we published a news story about an Equality, Diversity and Inclusion report into the National Council for Voluntary Organisations. It found evidence of bullying and harassment on the basis of race, gender, sexual orientation and disability happening with impunity at all levels of the organisation, leaving members of minority groups there feeling unsafe at work, according to the report. It also uncovered overt and covert oppression, favouritism and
0: institutional gaslighting of junior members of staff. The report was compiled by external consultants last year and it was shared with all staff at the organisation in June, but it was not published externally. The NCVO did run a series of blogs in August last year, acknowledging that EDI work by the organisation had highlighted mistakes and going as far as to admit, among other things, that the NCVO was a structurally racist organisation. But last week was the first time that the full extent of the criticisms in the report have been laid bare. Our story
1: came out just over a week after NCBO's chief executive, Carl Wilding, stepped down. Wilding had been in post for just 18 months, but had been at the organisation for 23 years. We should say at this point that the NCBO has denied Wilding's departure was connected to the report. But it did add, The review and inquiry, along with the EDI work last year, has shown that the culture at NCBO needs to change. Carl believes that, as someone who has been part of the organisation for many years, he is not the right person to lead this cultural change. He believes that requires someone new, not someone part of the past. Since the story was published, Kieran Corr, who has been a trustee of the NCVO for just under a year, has announced that she had actually stepped down in mid-January. While she didn't reference the report directly, she said in her tweet, it seems like an appropriate time to share that I recently resigned from the Board of Trustees at NCBO. She said in her tweet that she'd given it her best, did what she could, and although
0: she'd hoped to stay for a full term, the change I seek is beyond this role. The charity's interim chief executive, Sarah Vibert, also published a blog saying that the leadership team and board were unequivocal in their response to the EDI report. They believed and accepted the findings and were taking action. Vibert wrote, We are shocked and ashamed that an organisation with such a long and proud history as NCVO has enabled such a culture to persist, and we are absolutely determined that this should change, and fast. Under the hashtag NotJustNCVO, people have been sharing their own experiences of bullying and discrimination at organisations across the charity sector. As an organisation that works adjacent to the sector, the outpouring of hurt, anger, fear and feelings of helplessness have been both very powerful and at times very, very difficult for us to witness. And over the past year, bullying, harassment and discrimination is something we have covered a lot. There has been a string of stories featuring bullying at a number of high profile organisations in the charity sector. And as Not Just NCVO makes clear, there are a number more to come. As we said
1: at the beginning, this news story is one we felt we had to acknowledge in this week's episode, but we've also thought long and hard about it. And ultimately, we've decided there's not a lot we can add to a story that is in many ways still developing. But what we can do is ensure that we are signposting to support for anyone who needs
0: it. So first up, I would just like to talk about the National Bullying Helpline. Um, A section of its website is dedicated to workplace bullying and it offers legal information as well as support. To access that, you can visit www.nationalbullyinghelpline.co.uk forward slash employees, or you can call 0300 323 0169. There's also the whistleblowing charity Protect, which you can reach at protect-advice.org.uk or on 020 3117 2520.
1: The Mental Health Foundation also has a great list explaining what kind of help is available and which organisations can offer support. That's at mentalhealth.org.uk forward slash your-mental-health forward slash getting-help. And for those with disabilities who are facing bullying and discrimination, Scope also runs a helpline on 0808 800 3333 which you can contact for support. Um, Shout out to Pauline Castros for that recommendation.
0: And finally, uh, Sophia Moreau on Twitter recommended the Equality Advisory and Support Service Helpline. The helpline advises and assists individuals on issues relating to equality and human rights, including in the workplace. You can call the helpline to discuss incidents and you can have an advisor give you information or discuss your options. That can be accessed at equalityadvisoryservice.com.
1: And if anybody listening to this does have any other recommendations they want to send us on social media, please do tag us. Um, I'm at Rebecca K Cooney. Emily is at Emily P Burt. That's the one. That's the one. And or you can uh, contact at Third Sector. Um, tag us in your tweets and we will share any resources that you think are are, are worth recommending to people.
0: We'll also make sure that all of the URLs that we've just mentioned are included in the text next to the podcast. For
1: people who have experienced bullying, discrimination and harassment, this may well have been a tough week. Um, We hope you're okay. And hopefully this is a sign that things are about to change. As we've said before, many, many times on this podcast, this sector is full of amazing people doing amazing work, but they deserve to be able to do that safely. So rather than doing a deep dive into a particular subject this week, we're going to crack on with our coronavirus care package.
0: Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. Each week, we are bringing you a mini coronavirus care package. Good news stories that we have spotted in the sector this week. And we have a few more than usual uh, this week because I think everybody could do with a little bit of good news. So Rebecca, what have you got for us today? Uh, First
1: up I have got the IVAR funders pledge. So um, last year we reported on the London funders pledge uh, which was to offer support, be more flexible and less demanding in their reporting requirements allowing grantees the leeway they needed to focus on surviving during the pandemic. Uh, Hundreds and hundreds of funders ended up signing that pledge. So this week the Institute for Voluntary Action Research launched a new pledge which they hope will help this flexible supportive approach to funding last beyond the pandemic. So far, 40 funders have signed the hashtag FlexibleFunders Pledge. Uh, and they've all signed up to eight commitments: that they won't waste time, that they will ask relevant questions, that they will accept risk, act with urgency and make decisions quickly, be open by offering feedback and reasons for rejections, enable flexibility, communicate with purpose, and be proportionate in their formal reporting requirements. So the reason I think this is a really good news story is that often organizations that rely on grant funding feel that there is a huge administrative burden placed on them by you know the applications process by the things they need to report back on to their funders um and often that just means that you know a lot of the benefit they see from from the money that they're getting is kind of eaten up by having to jump through hoops and you know during the pandemic as we said the london funders si- um, came up with this pledge that that hundreds and hundreds of funders signed saying you know we're going to give you a break we appreciate you've got other things on at the moment You know, if we've given you money for one thing, but you need to use it for something else in order to survive the pandemic, we're going to be okay with that. And yeah, so this is an attempt to make sure that that approach lasts beyond the pandemic. And I think it is something that funders have been hoping to do and and certainly grantees have been asking for for a very long time. So I think this is a really, really good news story that could actually mean, you know, have an impact long, long after we're all talking to each other in the office and hugging each other again. Absolutely. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, what have you got for us?
0: I also have a funding story to start us this week, um, which is that Comic Relief have recently announced the delivery of a new £2.8 million fund to small grassroots UK based projects which are tackling racial inequality. So, the Global Majority Fund, which is delivered in partnership with organisations including the National Emergencies Trust and the Esme Fairbairn Foundation, seeks to support minoritised communities that have been disproportionately affected by COVID 19 in the UK. So the £2.8 million is being distributed by 10 intermediary partner charities. These include the Africa Advocacy Foundation, the Muslim Charities Forum and the BME Health Forum. So each intermediary body has been awarded between £275,000 to £440,000, which they're going to distribute to smaller UK projects working at the forefront of delivering community COVID-19 responses. We all know that BAME-led charities have been delivering crucial services to some of the hardest-hit communities through this pandemic. So it's great to see Comic Relief continuing to target its support in a way that serves these organisations. So snaps, snaps to Comic Relief, keep up the good work. Absolutely,
1: and we will pop a link to that for charities that are interested, think they may be eligible to apply for some of that money. Uh, we'll pop a link to that in the show notes and in the news story that goes along with the podcast as well. What have you got up next? What have I got up next? Oh, this was a fun one. Um, So I've got a fun um, mistake that actually turned out quite nicely for a charity. Um, So the radio host and I'm a celebrity star, Jordan North, uh, made a huge mistake while hosting a charity fundraiser in his hometown of Burnley. He took part in a Facebook Live quiz to raise money for the Pendleside Hospice in Burnley. Throughout the quiz, he read out a number for people to text to buy raffle tickets unfortunately for him he read out the wrong number Mm. and lots of people's donations ended up going to a greyhound charity instead (laughs) um the Greyhound charity all of a sudden got loads of text donations, and the charity that I was trying to raise money for didn't. He admitted on his BBC Radio One show on Friday, um, he did make up the difference to the hospice charity, so that didn't lose out. But this unnamed Greyhound charity got to keep its unexpected windfall, so that's always a good thing. Everybody, you know, everybody likes Yeah, everybody wants some greyhounds to uh, you know be happy as well in their retirement, definitely. Yes, so I thought that was just a nice little, nice little windfall story. Uh, it reminded me a lot of. Do you remember a few years ago there was a whole thing about doing a kind of no makeup selfie for breast cancer or something, which I was always a bit like, I've, I've got thoughts about that. But you know, it was it was quite a big campaign, and apparently, so one of the things was you had to text the word bear, as in bare faced, to um, a text number um, in order to donate once you'd posted your selfie turns out because a lot of people can't spell um so people rather than uh, b-a-r-e people were texting b-e-a-r and a lot of i think and i believe a, a wildlife charity ended up getting a, a bunch of donations because they had that code with that particular text <laughs> donation service uh, so yeah made me think of that quite a
0: bit so yeah fun little story for us my favorite of All of these stories, my favourite part of them is just the fact that everyone still gets money at the end of it. It's nice. Yes, always good. Yes. What have you got for us? Well, I always feel as though I have a little conservation corner on the go in this podcast, whether it's sentient spinach or new types of whale. (laughs) Um, And I am keeping up my old habits in uh, in this week's episode to say that the RSPB and BirdLife International have been working together on the Albatross Task Force, which is an international team of seabird bycatch migration experts. If you haven't heard of seabird bycatch, and I had not until yesterday, it's essentially just a fancy way of saying that birds often get caught in the trappings of fishing gear, which is driving down, you know, the populations of these seabirds. So they've come up with a very, very neat and nifty solution, um, which is bird scaring lines. Bird scaring lines are a colourful pole which gets mounted on the stern of a fishing trawler and it strings along brightly coloured, very colourful ropes in the wake of the boat when it's chugging along. Now, we're not sure quite why yet, whether it is through movement or through the very vivid colour scheme of these bird scarers, but the lines act like the marine equivalent of a scarecrow um, and the seabirds absolutely will not go near them. Sorry, are you telling me that albatrosses are afraid of maypoles? Could well be. I mean, <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. We can drop an email to the scientists and see what they have to say about it because they haven't quite figured out what it is that they don't like, but it's a big, big deterrent. So um, these bird scarers have been implemented in a pilot in Namibia, and the number of seabirds being killed has been reduced by 98% um, as a result of their implementation. And these results are particularly timely for the UK, which is on the cusp of producing its own national plan of action for reducing seabird bycatch, uh, after recent reports highlighted that some of the northerly cousins of albatrosses are being caught in longline fisheries operating off the north coast of Scotland. So I'm hoping that we will... Maybe it would be a very British thing to do. Let's just get some maypoles up... On the back of the fishing trawlers. I mean, I don't, I, in a way, I'm not really against it. I could just see that being hijacked into some sort of Brexit related campaign. Um, I mean, I was going to but... say, I feel like, I feel like, yeah, we've got
1: British fish and British. Birds being scared away. We're scaring away the foreign birds. I don't know.
0: But uh, either way, um, big snaps to the RSPB there for coming up with a really like nifty solution to reduce that seabird bycatch and help to protect these very vital species out in the waters. What's your next one, Rebecca?
1: Well, for my next one, we are staying out at sea uh, and uh, protecting uh, lives at sea as well. So uh, this is the RNLI um obviously the uh lifeboat charity which last year introduced a series of medals for long service to its volunteers starting at 20 years um so i think you get one at 20 years 40 years 60 years some people have had 60 years of volunteering with the rnli which blows my mind in and of itself um and the rnli announced last week that the medals have now been awarded to 1400 people with service totaling a whopping thirty nine thousand years that's amazing. So 39,000 years worth of volunteer support has gone into saving lives at sea. Um, and that's just the people that have been serving for you know, that length of time. That's not including people who've, who've you know, over the years have given God knows how much time. Um, so yes. Well done to the RNLI. It's an incredible service. Not enough people realise it's a charity. Um, obviously, I realise our listeners will. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, probably, world. yeah. I know you guys know about it. Um, but yes, I, just, I thought that was a really
0: nice little story. Um, so to finish us up, what have you got, Emily? We're so in sync this week because I now have a volunteer story as well. So we've both done something about funding, something about the ocean and something about volunteers. We're clearly operating on uh, the same vibrations this week. Um, we sound so... alike, we think alike. <laughs> yes, very homogenous we are. Um So finally, from me, it is a shout out to Ruth McBain, a volunteer for the Ilkley branch of the neighbourhood charity, Ilkley and District Good Neighbours. The charity was established in the 1970s and its mission is to alleviate loneliness and support older and disabled people living independently within Ilkley and District. The charity offers a range of services which include befriending services, home and garden assistance and shop assistance. And due to the current COVID-19 pandemic, last year they set up a shop and drop scheme which has volunteers going out, shopping on behalf of their service users and then delivering groceries to the homes of the people that they support. So if you've been anywhere in and around the UK this week, you've probably noticed we have had quite a lot of heavy snowfall, even in London. Um, And up in Ilkley, where traffic was struggling to get through to people, uh, their volunteer Ruth decided to go out on a limb and deliver all of her groceries by sledge. And she sent some photos of her um, trucking through the fields, pulling a sledge full of groceries to be brought to the people that the charity supports. And I just thought it was another really nice example of volunteers really going out of their way to keep supporting people and keep delivering uh, no matter what challenges come up. That is amazing. And um, the shop assistance coordinator, Charlotte, she just said, uh, our volunteers are a dedicated and determined group of people who will always do their best to help their clients. And I just think that is a great example of of what volunteers are and what they do so a shout out to ruth a shout out to all those lovely rnli volunteers and to to everyone who's doing great voluntary work with the charity this week
1: yep come hell or high water or hail or high water anyway um volunteers (laughs) i'm sorry i'm really sorry about the pun thing okay
0: (laughs) I really thought we were going to get through an episode <laughs> without you dropping one of those.
1: We were so Sorry. close. Uh, but yes, no, volunteers doing an amazing job and providing incredible services that make a huge difference to to charity service users and uh, to people within their community. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, um, so I think that's all for this week. Um, as we say, if you do feel like you need support because of uh, the week's news stories, do check out some of those links that we provided. Do send us any recommendations of your own. Um, We'll be back with another episode soon, so make sure you subscribe to this, The Third Sector Podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it.
0: Until then, I'm Emily Burt. And I'm Rebecca Cooney. And our producer is Lindsay Riley at Rethink Audio. So we will see you next week.